Good morning, this 15th day of Punjab curfew, and uh, we are going to worship the Lord by the reading of the word. We just got done singing a few songs, uh, Praise Goes On uh, by Elevation, Danya Tera Nam by Sheldon Bangera, and uh, we also finished with Ferris, Lord Jesus. And now we're going to read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. <coughs> Hit it, son. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, that though Jesus himself baptized him not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is in Sychar, near to parcel of ground, to the parcel of ground, and Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asked Ist of me when I am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. All right, brilliant. Uh, so last week we, we talked about a few things. We were specifically talking about John the Baptist. We were finishing up John chapter 3, and uh, we, we finished with some proclamations that John the Baptist gave to Jesus. Do you remember some of those? Oh, gosh. I'll start you off. He is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. What was another thing that he said? Jesus is? Jesus is the Christ? Yeah. You can say it out loud. Okay. He also said that Jesus must... You must increase, and I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. He is above all. Above all. The Father, what? The Father loves him. Yes. And belief on him grants one eternal life. That's kind of the end there, isn't it? Yep. So today, um, uh, we're going into John chapter 4, and we see that the crowds uh, that followed Jesus grew. And, um, and Jesus, Jesus takes notice, it's specifically said here in verse 1, that uh, the, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard. Um, but here's four things that I think uh, deem a little bit of discussion as well as a topic of conversation. And so here are the four things. Um, Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. Uh, Jesus wasn't the one discipling. I mean, baptizing, it was his disciples that were baptizing. Uh, another thing I think is important, and what we just read, is that Jesus got tired. He's 100% man, but he's also 100% God, and that 100% man aspect of him got tired. And uh, fourthly, Jesus spoke to a woman of mixed blood. Uh, cue the air being sucked out of the room, if you were talking to people um, normally within uh, a specific uh, Jewish cultural time. 
And so let's take these one by one. Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. This kind of goes against the common knowledge of what we talk about in church today. Why? How many disciples did Jesus have? More than 12. But what do we normally say in church? Well, that's an exact number. That's a Sunday school answer. That's a Sunday school answer. But Jesus didn't have just 12 disciples, did he? No. So this goes against common knowledge because when we constantly say 12 over and over again, we're inundating society, we're inundating people that we talk with, that they automatically only think, oh, well, Jesus only had 12 people who followed him. Yeah. Um, can we place a number on the amount of disciples that Jesus did have? No. But are they? The 12 that are mentioned are the important ones, you say? Why is that? Well, they're important enough for the names to be mentioned because they continue on in the story. Okay, but let me ask you this. Uh, which ones are the most important? Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, only three were mentioned. John, Peter, and James. And yet, uh, 12 are mentioned as his close disciples. Yeah. Yet in Acts... Chapter 1, we see that Justice and Matthias were equally qualified to replace Judas as anybody else was. So technically, there's 14 guys that are qualified to be Jesus' disciples. True. But yet at the same time, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, we see that Jesus sent out 72 yep. disciples. And yet, on the day of Pentecost, there were people that were gathered in an upper room, and that number amounted to the number of what? I don't know. 120. And yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, we see that after Jesus had raised from the dead, he appeared to more than 500 disciples. So what gives? Yes? He has infinity and beyond disciples. He has infinity and beyond. Because everybody who believes in God is his disciple. Very good. That's true. And, and that's why the next question that I wanted to bring up, does the matter really number? Mat the number really matter? Does the matter really number? No. <laughs> does the number really matter how many disciples Jesus had? No, it doesn't matter. But people think it does. Yeah, I mean, it makes for good teachings whenever we're trying to do a business meeting, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Jesus had 12, and three of them were her, his inner friends. And so, therefore, you know, what we need to do is we need to influence three people, and then the most we can really have is 12. Is that the way Jesus operated? No. I don't think so either, Xavier. I think that Jesus' 12 disciples were important, but there were so many more that were unnamed and, or, or rarely named, but those disciples still mattered to whom? Jesus. Jesus. Exactly. They still matter to Jesus. And so in this passage, Jesus is bringing a, a Samaritan woman in as a what? What is the Samaritan woman in this passage of Scripture becoming? Uh, a disciple. She's becoming a disciple. And yet culture would dictate of that time and of that era, era that she couldn't be a disciple for two reasons. One, she was a Samaritan. And two, she was a woman. A woman. Sexist. <laughs> and racist. And racial sexist. Yet we ourselves, I mean, I, I, I look at this and I find this so fascinating because you and I, in this moment of time, if the Bible was being written today, would we, would our names even be mentioned in the Bible? Or would we be a part of the group that was known as the 500 that Jesus appeared to? I'd probably be in the group of 500. I'd be in the group of 500. Right. And, and I would too. I mean, we're, 
we're not so super important that we would need to have our names mentioned, but at the same time, are we not truly, are we truly desirous of that being our position? I mean, remember the disciples kind of fought about that, didn't they? Like who's going to be on Jesus's right side? Who's going to be on his left? And, and when you come into your kingdom, like this was, this is an argument that we deal with. And so that's why the number of disciples has become so important in today's society is because we want to prove that we have more knowledge than somebody else, or we want to see ourselves in a seated in a, in a place of honor, don't we? Yeah, we really do. But the reality is, is I believe I would probably not make it into a, a great book that was written. And yet that's not my significance. My significance isn't found as having my name specifically mentioned first, middle and last name or first, third, second and third name or my surname being mentioned or any of those things. What's important is, is that I recognize that I am a child of God. And that's kind of the theme of what our uh, uh, our, our discussion is on today. Secondly, disciples baptized disciples. Mm -hmm. The disciples baptized the disciples. This is kind of almost like a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do later on when he tells the disciples to wash each other's feet. Like he goes around the room and washes everybody's feet and he says, then you should do likewise, right? But this is something that's already happening immediately within Jesus's ministry is he's saying, you do the, you do the baptizing. And what does this, uh, why is this, a, is this significant ritual being performed by the disciples? Because Jesus didn't come to baptize us with water. He came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Okay, very true. <laughs> but why else is uh, why else is this significant? I mean, that's absolutely true. But why else is this significant that the disciples are baptizing other disciples? Because Jesus trusted them and put faith in them to uh, lead and guide the other ones. Right. Their baptism. So, as your father, uh, um, uh, in reality, yeah, do. Do I show you that I trust you by giving you certain responsibilities? Yes. And when those responsibilities aren't done, then what does that do? It doesn't get done. <laughs> <laughs> do it the next day. You do it the next day. <laughs> but does it show, uh, does it hurt me to the point where I say, you're no longer my son and I don't want anything to do with you? No. What do I still do? You still trust me. And I still expect me to love me. Yeah, I still love you. Expect me to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I still expect you to do it as well. I mean, there's so many different things that are there. And if I, an earthly father, do these things, how much more would our heavenly father continue to entrust us, give us authority, love us, care for us, provide for us, and, and, and expect amazing things out of us? Um, why was Jesus's, uh, uh, I, I think Jesus's example of having um, disciples baptize others is uh, uh, repeated later on in scripture. Can you think of a time or a person that that would have been repeated by this specific passage of scripture? Jesus's disciples were baptizing other disciples. Can you think of another person in, in the Bible that did not baptize people, but had his disciples baptize the people that were coming into the church? And a dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. 
I mean, the reason I asked that, I mean, I have an example because I thought of one, but I just wanted to put it out there to see if anybody else thought of anything. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 14 through 17, Paul, the apostle says, I did not baptize any of you except for, and then he gives a little list of a few people that he might have baptized. It, because and, and this is important because Paul saw what Jesus had done and he thought that this was an amazing way to see the church grow. And that is by putting authority into the hands of the disciples. Too many of us sit around and don't understand who Jesus really is because we say that's up to the pastor or that's up to a leader in the church. But really, if I come into faith in Christ and I become a disciple, it's my job to start discipling others. It's my job to not just disciple them in the truth, introduce them to who Jesus is, but also to see them, dare I say, and get in trouble by any uh, uh, organization, say that we even are important that we baptize the disciples that we bring into the faith, teaching them to do likewise. Things we can learn from this example of Christ and trusting his disciples as far as what I saw, and you guys go ahead and throw a couple others out there. I, I, these are just a few ideas. Um, their love for each other must be deeper than the rite, R-I-T-E, the rite or the ritual of baptism. Their love for each other or our love for each other as a body of believers must be deeper than our gathering. Like just because we gather here in our home or we go to a, a, a building that hosts a group of people on, in a church, what we call a church building on a Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday, that, that gathering is bigger than just that specific spot on this earth. The gathering is global, right? Yeah. Through Christ, though Christ is the head, uh, qualifications for being a disciple or what? We, we said it at the end of John chapter 3. How, how do we inherit eternal life? If you believe on the Son. If we believe. And if we, there's actually another thing that it says there at the end of John chapter 3. It says, and if we obey. Yeah, we obey. And so immediately, no matter who the person is, male, female, yellow, black, white, green, purple, the color of their skin, the color of their hair, those things don't matter. Markings on their body don't matter. That's not the issue. If they believe and they're obedient, then immediately they're made to be disciples of God. We are children of God. Um, we honor each other, not seeing one another as greater or more important. I don't look up to everybody and go, man, that guy's so great, I would never be able to achieve what he's achieved. No, what God wants us to do, why disciples baptized disciples is so that that way everybody saw the playing field as, hey, we're all children of God and Jesus is our head. The same goes for uh, honoring each other is not seeing uh, another person as lesser, poorer than I am. I can't look down my nose at somebody and go, oh, you, you, you will never achieve what I've achieved. Instead, what we're basically called to do, discipling, uh, disciples baptizing disciples is proof of us loving one another. Is there any other examples that, that you can think of or any other uh, um, 
things that we can learn from this example of disciples baptizing disciples? It got quiet up in here. All right. Then uh, Jesus got tired. This is point number three, or observation number three. Often we focus on Jesus as God, and he is 100% God. Let us not forget he is also 100% man, and this is significant in our understanding of what Jesus did on the cross. So we ask ourselves, and I was reading in Mere Christianity yesterday, C.S. Lewis brought up the subject, and of course you know it. Uh, Addison has... Um, asked this question in her Christian doctrine class at university this year is, can God suffer? Huh? Meow. Yeah. Meow? Yeah. I mean, it's a deep question to ask. Can God suffer? And so the reality of what we would say is, it's impossible for God to suffer. Because God cannot be put into a place of submission because he's God. However, what God Almighty did is he became a man. He became the person of Jesus. He endured suffering as Christ. And in order to bring atonement to all of humanity, all of the world, making Jesus the only one whom understands our weaknesses, our pains, our sufferings, and our problems because he also went through things while he was on this earth. And in his earthly life, he endured suffering, not because it was forced upon him, but because he chose to endure it. So the question isn't, can God suffer? The question of, can God be put into a place of suffering? And the answer is, he can only be put into a place of suffering if he submits himself to that place of suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus did, right? Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts or ideas on this? Mm. Uh, he, he suffers for our lost ones whenever someone dies. Yeah. I mean, Jesus cried, right? Mm -hmm. He wept. What, what, I, I mean, look at some of the emotions of Jesus. Uh, we focus so much on the importance, and it's very important that we see him as God, but what, is his, what are his human attributes that, that we see? In this passage of scripture, we saw he got tired. Mallory just mentioned that he, he understood loss or sorrow, weeping. What else? He understood friendship. Absolutely. He understood the importance of friendship. He understood happiness, right? Didn't we a couple weeks ago talk about the fact that he went to a wedding? Sure. And he was a part of that wedding feast? Mm -hmm. So like us, Jesus gets weary and tired. And, and I just want to discuss that a little bit further. Uh, but the important part is, is that he did not sin. And so how are you when you get tired? What's your, what's your attitude or what's your composition of, of life? How do you yeah. act? I think it really depends, it on, depends the on the day and it depends on how late it is, how long I've been up. 
Okay, so give, but what, what, what do you become like? Well, like, if I'm, like, if I've stayed up, like, basically all day, I get really tired and irritable. Okay. But maybe a few hours after that, <laughs> I get really loopy uh -huh. because I haven't slept a lot, and so my brain's trying to stay awake. Uh -huh. So it just depends on the hour and how long I've been awake for or tired for. Sure. Other than that. And what about you? Well, yeah, I mean, definitely if you, it really depends on the situation sure. of, of being weary. Like if I've been going, going, going all day, you know, you're up and you're about six, seven o'clock and you're, you're going, you have a full head of schedule ahead of you. And then the next thing you know, it becomes six o'clock at night. It's time again to start prepping for dinner and things of that nature. And then it comes eight o'clock. And you're like, okay, so like in the next two hours, maybe by 10 or, in the, or even the third hour, 11, I might be going to bed. And then you get a knock at the door. Yeah. And that knock on the door is, is guests coming to see you. Well, am I going to be like, oh my, I cannot believe I have guests at this hour. Mm -hmm. That may be my initial reaction, but it's not going to be my verbal reaction Yeah. to say, no, this isn't a good time. Let's not visit. Right. Or am I going to keep the door open to say, hey, yeah, let's do that. And so I would have to mentally prepare. All right. I'm not going to get as much sleep as I thought I was going to be able to do. And right now, you know, these guests are in our home. Let's, let's be with them and uh, talk with them because obviously, I mean, it's important to be, to be with people. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then do accordingly. Right. But sometimes being tired can also bring an irritability. I mean, especially if you're traveling traveling in a car. Exactly. And let's say you've gone up some hilly mountains, you know, and <laughs> I'm not really good on hilly mountains. I, I totally vomit coming up and coming down a very hilly, hilly mountain. And the the, the last thing I want to do is, is see people. I mean, I want to see the, the, the toilet, you know. <laughs> I want to see the, the, the porcelain white thing that I can actually put my head into and vomit into because I've been so sick and then I want a couple of nuts and some water and then lay down <laughs> and, and that would be a, a wearisome travel sure because my head is just spinning my, sure. my first thing and just just to slow down and catch your breath like hold on let me just sit here for a second and just take a pause yeah absolutely so I mean it really depends on what kind of traveling or tiredness or, or weirdness. Tiredness. Yeah. I, I'm, I, the ones I mentioned or uh, like you said, you get loopy, Zay, and, and I put happy. I put irritable. I get sad sometimes. I get grumpy, which yeah. is totally different than irritability, right? Just flat out being grumpy. Um, sometimes because I'm tired, I get depressed. And I just sit there and focus on, oh, poor pitiful me. Uh, sometimes when I'm tired, I get a headache oh. and sometimes when I'm tired, I get a so my body just becomes sore. Like my, my knees get really sore, especially in the joints and, 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 and the, I'm just not comfortable. Right. A yeah, go ahead. A question. <laughs> oh, the question is, is how, how do you react whenever you're tired? When I'm tired? Yeah. When you're tired. When I'm tired, um, when I'm tired, I say I'm tired. And I look tired, and my eyes feel tired. 
<laughs> and then I just go and fall asleep. Or when I'm sick, yeah. I say I'm tired. And then I fall asleep. Or whenever I played soccer, I didn't even say I was tired. I just laid on mommy's lap and then fell asleep. Yeah. And then randomly woke up in the car, not even eating anything for lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I remember that. And so is this a part of, this is part of everyday life, isn't it? Like normal people get tired, don't they? Yes. And we all have experienced being tired. And so Jesus is a tired man. And so he sat down next to a well of water, which significance we'll discuss later. And the first person that comes along, he asks them for a drink. That seems pretty normal, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, just a normal guy. And so the point. To get out. Go ahead. He didn't. didn't have anything to get the water out of the well, right? Are you saying that he didn't carry a bucket with him when he was traveling from when he was with John all the way into Samaria? Of course, yeah. of course, I don't think he did. He was just yeah. tired. He sat down. The disciples went on into town and he, he just sat there. And the first person to come along, he's like, hey, can I get a drink? <laughs> right? Yeah. So the main thing that I get away, get from this is the example of Jesus with disciples baptizing disciples is that we are sh to show love for each other. But the example I see from Jesus getting tired is I see it's okay to rest. Mm -hmm. It's okay to rest. We talked a little bit about this last week. It's okay. We're under a curfew. We can't get out of our house. Yesterday, uh, the newspaper today says yesterday, 240 people were arrested. Uh, like 160 cars were impounded for breaking curfew here in Punjab in our city yesterday. Uh, and so we can't even get out of our house. And so it's okay for us to rest. We don't have to busy ourselves. It's okay to rest. Um, and then the fourth thing that I notice is, is that Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. And I just kind of want to put this in perspective of today. Jesus sat down next to a well. And this would be as if this is 2020, okay? Jesus sat down next to a well. He was tired. And a Chinese lady from Wuhan, China came to draw water from the well. Or a vending machine. No, listen. Jesus came, yeah, or a vending machine. <laughs> Jesus got tired, he sat down beside a vending machine and the Chinese lady from Wuhan was getting it. <laughs> but I mean, you think about it. This is the kind of racism that appears in Jesus's day. People have been treating other races, people because of the color of their skin, very poorly. Very, very poorly. And so that, that's why I bring it up that way is because notice the boundaries of culture that Jesus or his day that Jesus is crossing because God loves us. He's not racist and he talks to a Samaritan. He's not misogynist and he talks to a woman. He's tired and he doesn't speak to her in an irritable, grumpy, angry voice. Though, as Blair was saying a little bit ago, he, you know, maybe when the person comes at 11 o'clock at night and you're ready to go to bed and, and you're going to entertain them as guests, you're, you're a little lagged, but you entertain nonetheless. And so even in his tiredness, he still is talking with her. Um, he doesn't beat her up for her religious background. Samaritans were not Jewish people as Jesus was, and so therefore her religion was different than Jesus's. And so he doesn't sit there and say, I can't talk to her because her religion's different than mine. Mm -hmm. 
He's not upset because her political persuasion is different than his. Instead, all of the, instead of all of these reasons, he just simply speaks to her. And as we'll discuss later on, not today, but later on, he ministers to her. Yet the things that I just mentioned are all reasons why we make up excuses of why we can't talk to people today. I can't talk to that person because they're not the same cultural background as I am. I can't talk to that person because they're of the opposite sex than I am. I can't talk to that person because, you know what, I'm tired right now and I don't need to talk to them. We don't talk to them because their religion is different than ours. And we don't talk to people because they might be more liberal or they might be more conservative than we are. And do those excuses really matter? No. Along with that, I mean, your title today is I am a child of God, and my mind goes right back to a child. When a child comes in, a co in contact with another child, immediately they stare at each other. Sometimes there might be a smile exchanged, mm -hmm. maybe a small wave yeah. out of hesitancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then initially... Little shyness. A little shyness. <laughs> and initially there's there's that high. And then from there, either the children will go on and play together. They may have a conversation together. Or that may be it. Yeah. But there's not an a an afraidness or a timidness timidness to um, yeah. approach each other. It's just like and the child I love that childlike faith. Like. Right. No matter right. if there's a deformity, does it matter the, the, the color of the skin? It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you speak their own language or not. Um, you're you're going to figure, you're going to try to figure each other out. Mm. And you ask really deep questions that as you grow older, you know, depending on upon how you were raised, you're, you're kind of, don't say that. Don't ask that question. Yeah. We don't associate with those types of people. Right. But that childlike faith of just being so small and the world is, I mean, it's, it's an ocean. It's, it's everything is at your fingertips of, yes. wow, this is <laughs> awesome. And people came out to see me today. And who am I going to meet today? Because, yeah, obviously they came out here to see me. So I, I'm, I always love that. I mean, I am a child of God. And yeah. in, in my being like, that with a childlike faith of even observing mm. children at a small age, am I approaching people in that manner of not being afraid, yeah. of saying hello, right. giving a smile, giving a wave, giving a, a, a slight bow of the head of honor and respect of hello, right. and then simply asking, how are you today? Right, right. Yeah, how's your health? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I even wrote a couple of examples for myself. Like, these are things that in our weariness or in our tiredness or in our irritability. I mean, we've been 15 days under curfew and, 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 and we can get tied up in, oh, poor pitiful me and forget that everybody else is going through exactly what we are and this is what we can do. I said hello to that guy and he wouldn't say hello back to me. See if I ever talk to him again. I smiled at them and they looked at me as if they were going to kill me. I'm never going to smile at those people again. A person from X part of town came in and, 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 and cut me in line. They cut Q today and I'm, not going, I'm never even going to go to that part of town again. 
or that person, uh, uh, the way they're talking, uh, they're just way too liberal for me or they're way too conservative for me. And so I can't ever have a conversation with that person again. And the irritability within us just continues to feed that more and more and more and more. Whereas what you're talking about is so true that if we instead would just have an awe and a wonder of, of joy and adventure as we go out or when we're able to go out or when we're able to get a little bit of groceries, uh, a little bit of subsy, a little bit of, uh, of fruit, a little bit of rice, that we, we do say hello and we do smile and we do have small conversations, of course, practicing proper social distancing, but we have those little conversations. And if the other person looks at us like, stay away from me, I'm afraid you have COVID-19 and you're going to kill me, then we respect that and we don't look at them as if they're a horrible, vile person. Instead, we look at them and go, okay, maybe they're having a bad day. Okay, cabin fever is set in so deeply that it's really hurting their self-esteem or their emotions or whatever. And we accept that as the answer and we continue to lovingly care and pray for each other in this time, right? Because these are our reactions, and this is how we choose to allow uh, um, um, our church or our friendship circle to grow. If we're so stuck on, I can't let this person into my close sphere because of X, Y, and Z, then we're pretty exclusive. And that's not the example that I see Jesus giving here at all. I I always feel so sad when, when I read um, books that are of 12 and no more. How can you have your, your circle of 12 people, your influence of 12 people and no more because Christ came for all. Right. And if I only secluded myself to 12 people, what a sad life I would live. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, maybe I might have 12 people that may or may not like me that may or may not want me to be in their life and and I'm pushing myself upon them of no you're my 12 (laughs) um you know I I don't I'm so grateful that I can become a friend with more than 12 Yeah. yeah and to live a life of um of an encouragement to, to others yeah. by, I mean, like if I just let, like, I mean, I mean, really being an exclusive life right. just would not be fun. And I don't think that's how God created us to be. No, I, I really do think that we are to follow his example and to, um, be there for others, mm-hmm. no matter, no matter race, no matter religion, no matter deformities, no matter, no, yeah. no matter anything. Yeah, exactly. Christ yeah. came for all. Exactly. And that's the, I find interesting and kind of dumb. A lot of people like to bring up statistics whenever they're speaking, and I know one out of two people don't like being called a statistic, but <laughs> they, a lot of people say, if you talk to your 12 people or two people about Jesus and they accepted Jesus and everybody did it, the whole world would be saved in a few days. But that's the thing with statistics. It's, that's in a perfect world where everybody did the same thing. Right. But that's not how the world operates. No, not and we need to go out to more than 12 people yeah. or the two people that the statistic <laughs> says we need to, but instead share God's love with everybody because that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and ultimately strive in our own life, in our own personal life, to live a life that's pleasing to Christ yeah, Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Not Belief and obedience. Right. I mean, that, I mean that's, that's the ultimate 
Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, even I, it, it, this just popped into my head as you were saying that, Xavier. Uh, uh, um, if, if, if we tell our 12 friends about Jesus, they accept Jesus, and they go find 12 people, and they tell them about Jesus, and they accept Jesus, yeah. then all the world will be saved. Um, that kind of logic is the same thing as saying that every single person in the world right now is going to uh, receive COVID-19. Yes. And, and we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a virus, and, 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 and it's not a respecter of persons, race, uh, 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 sex. It's not, a, it's not a respecter of boundaries of state lines or country lines or any of these things. Yeah. It's just spreading throughout everywhere. And yet we still, uh, and don't get me wrong, I believe that the numbers are going to continue to grow. Unfortunately, I pray there are going to be more people that are going to die. That's, that's a part of life. No, I said I believe more people are going to die. I, pr- I, I pray for their families. I, I pray for the, 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 the Lord to give them peace through this time but the the thing is is that uh, um that that's this is what's gonna this is a part of life today yeah and yet it doesn't show us what are you laughing at i was just the way you worded it oh, i pray for yeah. more death hey, no no i don't pray that more people die but i mean i'm just saying that that's it's gonna happen i mean the bible says it's pointed unto man once to die no, right, and then right. face the judgment i mean that's what i'm referring to yeah. and yet we've become a society that's so fearful of death that we look at it as if it's the most vile, evil thing that could ever happen. And yet the reality of our hope as believers, as Christians, is, is that even in death, we get to be with Jesus. We get to have life eternal. And so that, that's, a, that's a good news that is to remove our fear. Unfortunately, I don't think it removes it enough for enough people because they're so afraid of dying. And I'm not saying let's go put ourselves out there in a position of catching COVID-19 or some other, you know, form of death. I'm just saying in general, uh, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo said, uh, um, every man has died on the day that it was uh, given to him to die. Right. And and, and that's the way it goes. But the thing is, and this is the thing, that we've become so afraid of death that we aren't living our lives. First uh, John chapter three verse sixteen, the word of God says this: By this we know love that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And right now, in accordance with what the government is saying, the governments are saying, with what scientists are saying, a part of that laying down our life means staying home, staying inside, practicing social distancing, not being racist towards people who are from China or from another country, or are foreigners in our land that we are afraid that they're going to come and hurt us. Because the reality is, is that Jesus went above and beyond and accepted all past, present, and future mistakes, every part of us, every aspect of us as human beings. The reality is, is that you and I, we're Gentiles. You know, when we read the Bible, we're the barbarians. Mm-hmm. We're the Gentiles. We're the ones that, that, that um, were not given the promise but we're the ones that have been grafted into the promise because Jesus laid down his life for us. And as a result, we are children of God. Is there anything else that I'm missing here today? Anything else to add? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for how awesome you are. And we 
ask that you be uh, um, uh, Lord of all. As the proclamation John made in John chapter 3, we make today that you are above all, you are Lord of all, and nothing has caught you by surprise. Lord, we submit to you and we want to be obedient stewards. We want to be obedient children of God. We want to love each other and we want to show respect and love for others. And so we pray today that you will give us the strength, the peace, the joy, the hope, the encouragement that we need and let us share it with others when we are given the opportunity let us smile when we are able to see other people outside of our houses, even if it is walking out onto our balcony or terrace and looking across and seeing somebody across from us. Uh, if we are able to go get vegetables and rice and fruit, let us, let us smile and, and, and ask others how they're doing and, and be friendly. Be like you, you, Lord, on this earth. Give us the strength that we need today just squash all of our fears, squash our fear of death. You said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that you overcame death and, and that verse comes to us, oh death, where is your sting? And so Lord, we pray that you will give us that hope of eternal life. We pray for families that have lost loved ones and families that are in the midst of struggling with trials and problems at this day and age. And we just ask that you would be Lord of all, as we are your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.